Welcome back into the Short Four Saloon. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Philip Slavin. How are you doing today? Joel, I want to kick things off. You know, we're going to talk hoops, oddly. We're going to talk baseball, duh. We'll probably talk a little bit of wrestling, sure. But I want to talk, start things off because I want to, I want to lead off with some, just some, something that makes me go, damn, it feels good to be a Cowboy. So let's look back at the weekend that was for Oklahoma State. If you don't mind me going on a bit of a little bit of a, of a tear here. Go for it. On Friday, softball. Let's start with softball, right? 2-0 on Friday. Two 8-0 wins over Omaha. Nice start to the weekend. Baseball starts things off on Friday in a very difficult non-conference schedule against Grand Canyon. 1-0 with a nice 11-5 win over GCU. This is a team that beat OSU last year. In non-conference. And baseball stays undefeated. Now we're just forward to Saturday. Saturday. A lot of games on Saturday. The Hoops game. One of the most impressive. No, no, no. Mary. The most. Arguably the most impressive win of the Mike Boynton era, and we will get to that a lot coming up with going on the road, Sands, Cade Cunningham, and Isaac Likely getting an 85-80 win over West Virginia that makes Bob Huggins wait at least one more game to get win number 900. Softball continues their five-game stretch in this OSU Tulsa Invitational and goes, what is that? 2-0 again against New Mexico with two straight wins. Soccer goes on the road to number 17, St. Louis, who is on a, I believe, really, really good home field advantage or home pitch advantage, if you want to go from that direction, and on a clutch, clutch overtime penalty kick by Grace Yoke and gets a 1-0 win over a ranked opponent on the road there. Uh, baseball, second game of that series, gets a 3 Nothing win over Grand Canyon. Equestrian finally gets to start competing again because they've had one match and lost to TCU and everything else has been canceled. COVID, thanks. Uh, takes on number seven, Baylor, and gets a 14-6 to six win. This is a nice – this is going. You see where this is going. Let's go to Sunday. Sunday, folks. Uh, on Sunday, softball wraps up their five-game stretch by beating Tulsa, a team that does give OSU some trouble. Not today, folks. They beat Tulsa 7 to nothing, and pushed their overall record, that is incredibly impressive, to 18-1. And their only loss coming to, at this point, a really good Louisiana team at Louisiana. Got some nice games coming up there as well. Uh, let's go to Equestrian. They had to play back-to-back just because you're trying to get some competition. In. Number five, Fresno State, 8-7 win. It's been, it's been a really good weekend to be a Cowboy. And it all leads me to the thing where we're just going to go ahead and get this rant out of the way. Because somehow, some way, something happened to two Oklahoma State teams on Sunday that shouldn't happen. And I will, I will quote or paraphrase or paraquote the great Jimmy Duggan to start things off here, Jimmy Duggan, for those of you who don't know the best baseball movie, A League of Their Own, and Tom Hanks' character, um, there's no tying in baseball. Because what happened on Sunday? Two disgusting things, one worse than the other. 
baseball ends in a 3-3 tie. Joe will have a tangent here in just a moment. Wrestling, Big 12 championships in Tulsa. Oklahoma State and Oklahoma finishes co-champs. I'm going to repeat that. We had a bedlam tie, which is essentially a win for Oklahoma if you really want to think about it. And I can't wait for Oklahoma fans who don't give two shits about wrestling to come and try and be like, we care now, don't you? A bedlam tie. I'm going to repeat that. A bedlam tie is the most disgusting combination of two words I have ever heard in my entire life. And I have seen some nasty sandwich combos. I've, mm, there's not enough booze in the world to wash that taste out of my mouth. But you know what it's going to do? It's not going to do, it's not going to ruin what was an incredibly good weekend. Yeah, it has been an awesome weekend. I've talked about it on this podcast, and I'm going to continue to say it because I think it's really cool about Oklahoma State. Is for a lot of schools, mid tier, upper tier college athletics, once football season is over, everything else is just kind of whatever. They don't really care. There's not a lot of money invested, there's not a lot of fan interest invested. And in Oklahoma State, we get legit, we get to legitimately talk about a lot of these sports that deserve more credit. And it has been an awesome weekend. I, the first thing I thought of after the baseball game was over, I was at the game on Saturday at O'Brien Stadium. And I was walking out with my wife and my son. And I looked at my wife and I went, I won four games today. Baseball, softball, soccer, basketball. Like that to me, the, to be able to, to go, oh, yeah, we won four sports today is a really cool feeling. And not one that a lot of schools talk about or probably even think about. And I'm not even going to worry about the, the five OU fans that actually know that there's a f-ing wrestling program at that school that, you know, are going to be excited that they tied for the conference title that, you know, it's whatever, because that's the, I believe this is the ninth conference title in a row that Oklahoma state has won. And that's the longest stretch since 1921 to 1928 when Ed Gallagher was still the head coach. So it's a big deal. That Oklahoma state was still able to win the conference title. And we'll talk more about the baseball games that occurred later on in the show. But I do want to say this. Yeah, there's no ties in baseball. That's bullshit. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) It's just, it's ridiculous. Baseball doesn't have ties. There's no intended purpose for a tie in the game of baseball. And if, and the reason the game ended in a tie is because Grand Canyon, there was a, they set a curfew for the game. Game started at noon. It had to be done by 3.30 so the Grand Canyon University could get their flight back to Arizona. If they knew that there was an intended curfew on the game, then why not bump the game back an hour to 11 to give yourself four and a half hours to get a college baseball game in? As slow as the pace of college baseball can be sometimes, four and a half hours is plenty of time. And they should have been able to get the game in in that point. And I'm sure that's something that Oklahoma State knew and Grand Canyon knew going into Sunday. So I don't understand how you go into a game on Sunday without a contingency plan in place for if the game went into that three-and-a-half-hour, 3.30 cutoff to where you could try and decide a winner. Go California rule. Go into extra innings with a runner on second base and try and finish the game as quick as you can. That's what minor league baseball and major league baseball are doing now. There are ways to get the game to get to a winner that are in place in baseball. And they decided not to do it and in a tie 
and now Oklahoma State is 9-0-1. Cool. They're still undefeated. There's no reason for a tie in baseball. And show you how rare this event is. This was the 4,052nd game in the history of Oklahoma State baseball. This was the sixth tie. I wish I knew when the last tie was, but I saw Marshall Scott from PFB posted this was the this was the sixth tie in over 4,000 baseball games. This doesn't happen and shouldn't happen. It shouldn't. It's garbage. It, it shouldn't because it doesn't, there's no need for it. Like, again, get the game to that. First off, if you don't leave bases loaded three they times, roughly eight thousand runners on base, if we're just being honest. Uh, I believe the number was like 13 at the end. Yeah, they had, they, they had the bases loaded three times, uh, oh, on second and third another time. It, is, the, it was a rough day. According to OSU, according to OSU, according to OSU, the last game, last OSU game in the tie came on March 18, 2018 against Seton Hall at Alley P. The game was also forced to be called due to a travel curfew as well as weather with the two teams tied 3-3 in the bottom of the eighth. Well, there you go. This is the last time. Um, here's, here's why this bothers me. Most. And, and obviously, you know, if you play this game through, you could have suffered a loss, which isn't ideal. Um, and, and look, Grand Canyon left players on base as well. It's not like OSU left 12 and Grand Canyon left two. Okay, This was a game where neither team could really get their, their players across home plate. But for OSU, uh, what stinks here in having to have a tie, you stay undefeated, you know, 9-0-1, is the slate that comes up over the next four games. And I don't mean to jump ahead. Um, this is an impressive series. But and we'll talk about the end a little more here in a second. I love everything on the baseball. This is fun. For OSU's next four games, you go to ORU on Tuesday and you have a three-game series against Vanderbilt. The premier, the marquee, the Big Kahuna non-conference series for Vandy's next weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're going to talk more about it this week. We're going to have some guests on this week to preview the series. It's that big. It deserves that much attention. But this is a week of four games, and I don't mean this to be negative or bad or pessimistic, where Oklahoma State could realistically go 0-4. And I'll explain more about that in a minute. But that's why I think this game mattered so much to try and get that win is a 10 and 0 start. It's just, first off, it's awesome. And 9 0 and 1 is fine, but it's not 10 and 0. And I guess, the, and I know they could have ended up 9 and 1, but 10 and 0 is a great start with the week you have coming up. And it's disappointing to me because ties are, uh, if you haven't seen Ted Lasso and seen the great quote, the point of the episode where he's like the kissing your sister comment and everyone looks at him weird, he's like, yeah, it's a weird saying. Well, you know, it should probably go away. But it's gross. It's it's that's the whole point. Like no one likes a tie. Ties are fine in soccer. I get it, but there's still point value. There's still value in a tie. In this situation, it's just not a loss. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And we'll we'll talk more about that basketball, softball, you know, later on in the show. But we do want to get to the big news that that we found out about this week. I believe it was on Thursday afternoon when this news broke. Uh, oh. On effective July 1st, uh, Chad Weiberg will become the new athletic director. He's currently the associate athletic director, and Mike Holder will be stepping down, moving to an advisory role. 
Um, this is big news for the Oklahoma State Athletic Department. We did want to hit on it a little bit. This was an expected move when Chad Weiberg was hired, I believe, when he was at Texas. He was at Texas Tech, came back home to Oklahoma State. When he was hired on as the, the deputy AD, associate AD, whatever his official title was, we knew this move was coming at some point. It was just a matter of when it would actually get officially announced. The timing of it makes a little bit of sense with Burns Hargis stepping down on July 1st. So there seems to be a huge kind of regime change, quote-unquote, um, across all of Oklahoma State, both on the academic side and the athletic side. Uh, I, I'm excited to see what Chad Weiber can do. I've heard nothing but great things about him. I've gotten to talk to him before. He's a, he's a great guy, and I, I, would, I would want nobody else to run that fight department at Oklahoma State. The next few years are going to be very interesting with what he has to do, and I know, Philip, you want to get into that a little bit. Uh, what are some of your thoughts about Michael Holder stepping down, Chad Weiber coming in? What, what do you think about the whole deal? It, it, so the, decision, the announcement came very abruptly. Now, obviously, this is probably, as you mentioned, it's true. Um, I think Weiberg came in back in 20, I want to say 17. That sounds yeah. right. Um, back in 2017. He'd been at Texas Tech. Um, he had been at Kansas State previously as well. Um, he was like the primary fundraiser for the Kansas State Athletic Department. So don't worry, Weiberg can fundraise. Um, then it came out so quickly, and, it, and the decisions being made quickly, it will be in July, was a bit like, oh, it just kind of came out of nowhere. But as you mentioned, the decision now is not shocking. It makes sense to make this move before Hargis is gone. You have the guy you want in place. You have the guy who was brought in. This was the plan. Let's execute the plan now. Um, for Holder, his big thing was to complete his Oklahoma State Athletic Park to give every sport state-of-the-art, brand-new, beautiful facilities, the kind that can help Oklahoma State continue to compete at the level it does and higher, and all sports from all through the school year continuing into the future. This, you know, O'Braid is open. It was the big one. That was, it was the big thing. The one, outside of after getting uh, T.B. Pickens to donate the money to fix up. Boone Pickens Stadium, um, the other massive project, there are plenty, tennis facilities, soccer stadium, um, the practice field for the football team. All this stuff is, for, is, is legit. But the big one was the baseball stadium. Obrate has officially opened. That was the big one. Now, look, wrestling still has to be done, but I think it's going to be a few years, and I, I think it's one of those things that you can hand off. And, and remember – Holder staying on an advisory role, and advisory, I, I, my guess is that that's called fundraising role. I'm thinking the guy knows how to do it. Spot for him to take on this new role and let Weiberg take over. Um, Weiberg has had a lot of responsibility behind the scenes. Uh, we've we've heard the rumors that you know most of the contact with Mike Gundy is done with Weiberg nowadays, not with Holder all that much because of their relationship. Um, uh, let me say this before we talk about Weiberg. Holder is not perfect. He has made decisions and moves that were flawed when we look back on and, and were regrettable. Signing Travis Ford to a 10-year contract, not the best. Um, I know that the, the, the decisions made regarding Oklahoma State football and tickets has benefited Oklahoma State football. 
I hate that Bedlam, every time it's at home, you have to buy season tickets to get an individual game ticket. I hate how expensive Oklahoma State football tickets are when they are more than teams that win more, if that makes sense. And I don't mean that to be slight or rude. It's just frustrating. Um, I hate that it costs the same to buy a team a game against an FCS team as it does to watch a game against Texas. But those are – the ticket stuff is just me personally being cheap. The Travis Ford stuff, the further we get from it, he wasn't a great coach. He didn't deserve a 10-year contract. And there were some rough times. He also gave us Marcus Smart. The handling of Brad Underwood, man, that looks better and better. I understand Underwood and Illinois, da-da-da-da-da, with what Mike Boynton is doing, that looks better and better every day. Um, Oklahoma State, as an athletic department, is the best it's ever been. And it is at the point it is now because of what Mike Holder has done. OSU's always been good at wrestling and good at golf. <laughs> good at golf because of Holder. Um, but think about all this time if we keep saying over and over again, OSU fans from the beginning of the school year to May have a team to root for. From soccer, that's a perennial regular top 25 team who regularly competes for the Big 12 title. Football. I know with basketball has been up and down. It's, it's, it's only the really, really athletic black eye on, on Holder's time as the AD. Women's basketball has been solid, especially everything that's gone through. Baseball and where we are now. Cross country. Holder hired that coach. Every thing about OSU athletics. And it couldn't be in a better year that everything is like ranked in the top 25 with him retiring. It's a, look at what we've created. Women's tennis, we have had Coach Young on this show before. They're good. That's a team that was in a national championship game. This athletic department, and, and we can all have issues with Holder. That's fine. If you don't like him, whatever. But if you can't, I, I then you're just you 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 just can't look past you. The end of your nose. Mike Holder, OSU is in the position it is because of Mike Holder, and I mean that with nothing but the utmost respect. To the degree that I don't think another AD at OSU has been as impactful at OSU during the time than what Mike Holder has done. I'm not just saying, like, it's better because of him. It is as good as it is, and it is the best it has ever been across the board because of Mike Holder and what he has done at Oklahoma State. That is his legacy. And damn it, man, that is a legacy. That is one we all would aspire to leave behind. We all make mistakes. We all make decisions that don't work. His squabbles with Gundy are what they are, but it's not just his fault. I have nothing university. I do feel that, that things are being handed off into good hands. Weinberg is a guy who is, he's not just an alum. His, his emotional, his attachment to OSU is the kind of thing you want from somebody. And think about how weird this is with Weinberg. Typically, when you see ADs get hired and fired and so on and so forth, you're having to go and do a big search for a new AD, which throws everything in a turmoil. Because as soon as 
a coach isn't doing well. That's not the guy we always hear. He's not the AD that hired him. He probably is going to move on and want to bring in his own guy. Weiberg has been here since 2017, building relationships with the coaches in Oklahoma State. That relationships exist, which is why it's not going to be hard for him when Mike Boynton's uh, agent walks, not walks, struts into the uh, into the facilities this offseason and goes, pay my man. And Weiberg can be like, yeah, all right, duh. It's going to be really interesting for Weiberg when Mike Gundy decides to retire because the one thing Holder never had to do was hire a football coach. Gundy was put in place before Holder took over. Weiberg's going to have to replace Mike Gundy. Weiberg's got to pay Mike Boynton and keep him around. Weiberg can also sit back and watch and enjoy the success for the baseball team, the softball team, women's sport, women's women's sports, (laughs) women's soccer, women's tennis, women's basketball. Softball. I, it, I can say the same thing, teams over and over and over and over again. I, you could not ask for a better transition, a smoother transition, or in this day and age, a more unusual transition to be in this spot. OSU is in a – I don't think we're going to be able to appreciate how good a spot Oklahoma State is with what has been built and what has been set up for, for OSU to be able to continue on with success yeah, I'm not going to try and add too much more to what you said because I, I agree with a lot of your sentiments here. Frankly, I, like, I'm just too young to, to know the full impact of what Mike Holder did. I really didn't know a ton about him or about the athletic department as a whole until I really got to college, which was you know six years ago. So, you know, I've, I watched the, the basketball saga that was from Ford to Underwood to Boynton in a three-year stretch. You know, I've seen the, the, some of the squabbles that he's had, like you mentioned, with, with Mike Gundy for the last few years over contract disputes or or whatever else. But I've been able to watch the soccer stadium go up, really the the tennis center get into full swing, the building of a great stadium and everything that's good. That's gone with that. Like there there's the, the athletic village is what it is because of Mike Holder. And that deserves a tip of the cap for any athletic director that, that can do what he's done for not just football, not just, you know, he, you know, anything with that. It's getting the, and I think this, again, as I mentioned, speaks to the level of passion and care that Oklahoma State has for kind of the B and C sports that collegiate athletics has to offer, that they care enough to raise the money for these athletes at women's soccer, baseball, softball, tennis, golf, what wrestling, whatever it is. It matters at Oklahoma State, and I think that speaks to the culture that Oklahoma State has instilled. And it was the video that Oklahoma State like put out, I believe it was either the end of 2019 or the beginning of 2020. And I think this leads perfectly into Chad Weiber. And he w- spoke about this. And it was just the, when you're here, you get it. And that is, I think that just, that subtle generic statement just says so much about what Oklahoma State Athletics is like. And I can't think of a better person to lead the future of what Oklahoma State has to do. Now, there's going to be a lot of turnover the next few years, and we'll talk. We'll probably get into that here in a second. But I fully believe in Chad Weiberg as the athletic director. When he was brought in, he was an Oklahoma State guy. You know, he kind of grew up around here. That's the kind of person I want. And I think it's going to be if he if he can do anything like what Mike Holder did, Oklahoma State, the future of Oklahoma State athletics is in really good hands with Chad Weiberg's athletic director, full full force here starting on July 1st. 
the whole basically built. If you haven't been to the Michael and Greenwood Tennis Center, you really need to go. It is top of the line. It's a beautiful tennis facility. I'm very excited about going to Oak for the first time this year. Um, I still have not yet had the opportunity to step into Neil Patterson Stadium um, and watch a soccer match. And I'm, I'm going to do that because it's a beautiful stadium. It's a beautiful thing. OSU's Athletic Village is gorgeous. And it's because of Mike Holder. Um, one of the things that you might miss, because, you know, Fundraising is a big deal. You want a, an AD who knows how to fundraise. Let me tell you a little something about uh, Weiberg. Uh, during his time at Kansas State from 2004 to 2015, Weiberg served as the Director of Corporate Relations for the KSU Foundation. I was also the Director of Major Gifts. Uh, he was basically like their lead fundraiser at Kansas State. Uh, in 2019, he was recognized as the National Fundraiser of the Year by the National Association of Athletic Department, uh, Development Directors in 2014, sorry, 2014. The dude knows how to raise money. That's a big job of an AD. Oh, it's just going to be good hands. Yeah, and, and you combine that with go, Mike Holder's well, stand. It's not like because Mike Holder. The last piece, yeah. oh, he is there to continue to be a fundraiser. Yeah, like it's not like Mike Holder's just kind of going off and going to enjoy retirement and just go and kick his feet up and watch. He's staying on an advisory role because the man knows how to raise money. And you combine that with what Chad Weiber can do as you just mentioned with the stuff he did at Kansas state and I'm sure at Texas tech, I'm sure there was some capacity where he was in that role or doing something with them as well. Uh, the man knows how to raise money and you combine those forces as we've seen over the last couple of years, continue over the next few years, Oklahoma Santa Fe is going to find a way to make more money. <laughs> yeah. Because again, the last, the one big piece that hasn't been done or started or anything is wrestling. Wrestling needs new facilities. It needs to have them. It's going to get them. It's going to happen. It might be another three years, but it's going to happen. And I'll say this, starting a new sport or starting a new program is not cheap. And the way that John Smith has talked about women's wrestling and that it's kind of a thing that's popping up more and more, and I still think Oklahoma State feels like the right place for a P5 school to be the first to add it to its list of sports um, and is the kind of influential place that if they were to do so, others would follow. And I want it to happen. It feels like fundraising might be something they could do for that as well, especially after you get brand new facilities. Yes, I want OSU to add women's wrestling because it would be awesome. It would be super cool if OSU was like, yeah, we're the first power five school to add this. Bring it. Oh, yeah. I want he was talking so, about that last year too. Like that, I remember my yes. wife and I. My wife and I have had season tickets for wrestling the, the two years post grad we've lived in Stillwater, and that I remember it was one of the last duels of the year. I don't think it was senior day, but it might have been the, the duel before where it was women's wrestling day or like women in wrestling or something to that capacity where they had women's rest. They're like smaller schools that had women's wrestling programs and women high school women's wrestlers. They don't a clinic for you know, for women that want to learn more about the sport. It is, it seems as though John Smith and Oklahoma state have made it a, a big deal. And a, it's something they want the forefront that they are going to be the future of women's wrestling at the power five level. And if they're not the first, they're going to be the, probably the most influential that does it. 
I, there's probably going to be a, like a smaller P5 or another that does it. But Oklahoma State's going to be the one that kind of leads the way for other big-name wrestling schools to add a women's program. Let me just say this. Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas, there is a really strong crop. I hate using the word crop. It's a terrible word. I apologize. It's a really strong area for female wrestlers. If you were to start a program and wanted to dominate in it, being an OSU is not a bad spot to be in. That's all I'm saying. I'd also like to know when we're going to get a wrestling program in the state of Texas because why we keep adding teams from California to the Big 12, I don't understand. I mean, the only Big 12 schools that have wrestling are West Virginia, Iowa State, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. Like, it's, it's weird. It's not – yeah. It's – I mean, look, it's, yeah, I don't know. All right. Do you have any final thoughts on the athletic director change? Or I, I think I think we've about hit everything. I don't know if we had any final thoughts here. I mean, if you think about it, Wyberg's kind of been the face for the last year more than Holder has, anyways. Like this has been a transition that's been going before for a little bit. So yeah, I'm 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 I feel very comfortable with it. I'm I don't know if excited is the right word, but I'm. I'm Excited to see what what Weiberg can do following in the footsteps of Holder. Right, I agree with you on that. We'll, we'll have more, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about this in the future with you know moves that are made or coaching changes and anything like that. Like he's going to be at the forefront of that conversation. But we have more to talk about. We we alluded to some of the the weekend that was in cowboy and cowgirl athletics uh, with softball, baseball, soccer. We'll talk about basketball. We'll talk about all of that on the other side of this break, and we will be right back. Um, uh, Philip? Is it time to wax poetic? There was a pretty big basketball game that happened yesterday uh, without two of Oklahoma State's best players, and they still went into Morgantown and won. <laughs> uh, you, you said it, and I agree with you. I think this is the biggest win that Mike Boynton has gotten as the head coach in his four years. To go in without Kate Cunningham, without Isaac Likely, you get 31 from Avery Anderson. Fight, foul, you're, you know, the foul shot disparity was like 20-something between West Virginia and Oklahoma State. Foul trouble abound. And to still win is – it's ridiculous. It's awesome. And I was not expecting it, and I'm not going to complain because it's absolutely awesome. I don't know. Let's, let's, let's make sure we, we lay this out properly. Oklahoma State, who got the unluckiest draw of any Big 12 team with the way they had it in their season. Oh, they're, they're so five straight, yeah. five straight ranked teams. Three on the road. Three of Oklahoma State's last four games were on the road. They went at Oklahoma, Oklahoma, at Baylor, at West Virginia. Should have number six. They're playing well. They, gave, they took Baylor to overtime. They are playing for Bob Huggins' 900th victory at home. And Oklahoma State, without Isaac Likely, now look, they haven't had Isaac Likely for like six of the last seven games. No Cade Cunningham. Because remember, just Cade Cunningham and a bunch of nobodies is what this team yeah, is. It's, it's Cade and a bunch of scrubs, right? That, that, that's what we were, or mediocre talent. That, that's what it was. Mediocre talent. Cade and a bunch of mediocre talent goes into Morgantown. 
His two players foul out, Moncrief and Kuma. West Virginia makes more free throws than Oklahoma State attempts. And OSU comes away with an 85-80 victory. I want to repeat that. West Virginia shot 25 of 34. They made 25 free throws. Oklahoma State made 15 of 20. They shot 20 free throws. I saw West Virginia fans bitching about fouls, and I wanted to bitch slap every single one of them who's like, I need foul here and bitch foul. Shut your mouth about fouls when you shoot 14 more free throws, and at one point it was 20 more. I'm sorry OSU got to the line at the end of the game. They That's because you had to foul anyways. to stay in it. That's because you had to foul to stay in it, not because of some BS ref, ref ball. Okay. OSU had 20 turnovers. Didn't matter. They, West Virginia had more steals. Didn't matter. Had more what, assists. Didn't matter. Had more shots. They got three more shots. It took 14 more free throws. Don't miss nine free throws. And Oklahoma State won this game. The biggest takeaway for me from this, aside from West Virginia fans, and I, I, I really like West Virginia fans. I love having them in the 12. I have some that will listen to my show and respond to me all the time. I get why they're mad. This is not a game they should have lost. This is not a game West Virginia should lose. Let's be honest here. The takeaway for me was this. Moncrief, freshman. Caleb Boone, sophomore. Bryce Williams, senior. Rondell Walker, freshman. Avery Anderson, sophomore. Kuma, freshman. Keelan Boone, sophomore. It says D. Mitchell played zero minutes. I don't know why he's on there. Farron Flavors, senior. There were two seniors and a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. Other players who played in this game, Flavors is probably gone, is, is gone. No one thinks Flavors is coming back. Bryce Williams is considering coming back. Literally, Of the guys that ESPN says that played, I don't know why D. Mitchell's listed on here. It literally says zero minutes. Like, what is it there for like, a, like 10 seconds into the game? Probably. That's this, most, of this, most of this group is back. And I think Isaac Likely probably comes back. And you have Chris Harris, who I like, who has a little play because he's been hurt all the time. Like, my big takeaway, and I don't like to overreact to one game, but folks, Avery Anderson and Caleb Boone are the future of this team, and they're already here. And for everybody who wants to, who's, I can't believe Boyd's doing this. This is this is what next year's going, next year's team is. Now look, they're going to lose game. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I am so excited for next year and the year after, and whoever else Boynton believes is worth bringing into Oklahoma State because he built this. This isn't fluky. It's not leftover players from someone else. This is what he built through all of the bullshit that Oklahoma State has dealt with. Underwood bolting after one season, an FBI investigation, postseason ban that might or may not happen, not going to happen this year, let's just be honest. Scholarship reduction's coming. How many players being knuckleheads and having to kick kicked out? Injuries to Isaac Likely two years in a row. Mono last year, a lot, multiple injuries, all 
of the crap that Boynton has dealt with since he took over at Oklahoma State. He built this team. Take Cade Cunningham away. Think about the development from the beginning of the year when they played like a bunch of freshmen and sophomores and blue leads and couldn't beat TCU, shitty-ass TCU at home. And look at what they're doing now. And look at what they did on Saturday without Cade Cunningham. Boynton built this. This is built for sustaining, okay? This is built for keeping something going once Cade is gone next year and into the future. If this doesn't get you excited about what has been done at OSU for men's basketball and what Boynton has done and what Boynton can continue to build, folks, if you're out on the Boynton train, you best go find another school to root for because I don't – look, they might be one and done in March. Maybe they're in a tournament, get a weird draw. It's all in Indianapolis. Who knows what the hell is going to happen until 2020. But I am jacked for next year and the future. I am thrilled for what has been built here and what is going to continue to be built and built upon. That win was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen, and it is the biggest win of my boy's career at Oklahoma State, and it is not a fluke. It is what he has created and built in his time in Stillwater. It's funny how the people that said Boynton was a shitty coach six weeks ago or either silent or trying to flip a 180 like they didn't say it back then. That, that's He's never been a shitty coach. He's, he was the first coach to sweep Kansas in the regular season. Yeah. He is 3-1 and one in Morgantown. It's not like – okay, this, this was a nice win. This was the best win. But he was already 2-1 and one in Morgantown. Exactly. Okay. The guy knows how to coach. He's dealt with massive roster attrition. That first year, they should have gone to the NCAA tournament because their non-conference schedule was terrible. This wasn't entirely their fault that Pitt decided to have their worst season in like five decades. Had a bad non-conference schedule. They, they, I, they should have been dancing. And if they went dancing, if they'd have gotten the invite that first year, everyone would probably be a, have a much better view of him right now. But because he didn't, She's not any good. I understand what happened in the last two years. This roster, the roster that played on the Saturday, that leads the roster without Kate Cunningham, is better than the rosters he had his first, second, third year in Stillwater. Absolutely. It, done. You're, that you're team right. beats all those other three teams. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And – we talked about the, the brutal draw that they got. We were, our last oh episode, I believe we recorded after they beat Texas Tech. Yeah, we recorded for the final before those. It was after the Bedlam Suite. Either way. Like, we knew no, 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 no. We didn't. It was beforehand because we thought we recorded before they went to Norman that Saturday. That's because right. we predicted what was the final four games going to be. You thought they'd go one and three. I thought they'd go two and two. I think, and to be fair, you started. I think, and then you talked yourself into two and two. So don't don't try and act like you had them two and two the whole way. No, I did talk myself into it because it didn't. I just didn't believe this team would go one and three. A split with Norm OU made sense, and if they were going to pick up a road win, because they're going to have to, it made sense to beat Oklahoma at home and then pick up a road win at West Virginia because they were already right. Boynton was already two and one. It's kind of like picking Boynton to beat Kansas. Like he's done it. Like he can do it again. Yeah, and, and I I thought that there was an absolutely. If, if Kay didn't get hurt at the end of the Baylor game, I, yeah. I would have thought absolutely they can go into Morgantown and win. When he got hurt, I was like, okay, I oh, know yeah, you're no. going to 
they're going to go in. They're going to go in. They're going to put up a fight. They're probably not going to win, but we're going to see. But what, what do we see with Mike Boynton teams? They don't quit. They're never. They are never going to go away. They're never out of any game, regardless of who they're playing. And really, outside of the Baylor game, they haven't gotten blown out this year at all. The at the game at home against Baylor is without Cade, without Rondell. But I was like, okay, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. And we've talked about. Uh, at uh, multiple times during this year, the development of Avery Anderson and how he is a great complimentary piece with what we've seen at times this year. This was the first game we've gotten to see him at the forefront. Obviously that's going to happen when Kate Cunningham and Isaac likely aren't on the floor with him, but he's been awesome when they are on the floor too. Like you see the flashes. I'm like, damn, that guy is special. And you almost like over the last weeks, you forget he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. Like he was a legit prospect that showed flashes last year too as a really, really raw point guard on a team with a bunch of veteran guys. And he got to lead the team today or on Saturday, I guess. This is the recording is on Sunday. And he goes out and not only did he score 31, but he did it on 11 of 14 shooting. It's absurd. And he's a special type of player He's a star in the making. We've seen it the last like three or four games where he makes these just plays in bunches of just, oh my God, they, you, this, I feel perfectly fine. This is going to run the offense next year. Okay, cool. Let's do it. He's going to run the offense with Caleb Boone, Moncrief, Walker, Keelan. Like, this team is set up for success. And to see them do it without Cade, it, it, I think the, the narrative of mediocre talent, they're a bunch of scrubs is gone. It needs to be gone. It may be, it may still stick around because the national media probably didn't watch this game because Kate Cunningham didn't play. But I think Big 12 fans realize, like, oh, the, yeah, Oklahoma State's gonna be a problem next year. Because what we also don't know is what Oklahoma State is bringing in for 2021-22, and some of that's with scholarship production. I know they're in on a couple of guys right now. We don't know a ton about the class they're going to bring in, but the base team that's here right now, as long as nobody leaves or transfers, good Lord, I have, I have some really high expectations of what they're going to be next year. I think almost higher than what we have right now because as much as I love Cade and I thought this team was going to be good because of you have him and a bunch of guys around him, now we see, oh, the guys that are around him are really good too. I think there's just a – you have a more complete team going into next year – that I feel even better where they're at. And Mike Boynton's going to get paid. He needs to get paid. And uh, we can have more contract extension and pay raise talk later on. But if Oklahoma State doesn't want to, they're stupid and delusional. Because what Mike Boynton is building at Oklahoma State right now is sustainable for years to come. And I cannot be more excited. I I haven't been this excited about the future of Oklahoma State basketball in a very long time. Yeah. But as far as the future goes – so let's let's play the guessing game. Let's say that Likely and Bryce both come back, right? I think Isaac Likely comes back. I think I think he should only because the the injuries that the are, injuries are the huge have just derailed down. what he can do. Um, I think I would just want Bryce Williams back. I understand he hates school, but I think it would be fun. And he enjoys basketball games, so why not? So you fair and flavors is gone. Uh, obviously, Macho Pena last check had a chance to come back, but I, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to put my any eggs in that basket. 
Um, so let's say he's he's still got now that that's individual scholarship right now. I, I feel like that's a it, this happens sometimes. You give a guy a scholarship for a year, that doesn't mean it's a permanent scholarship, but he has it for this year. Um, so that's two scholarships um, that should be open. And then obviously Cade is gone, so that would be three. Now if the scholarship reductions hold, that would mean they would lose a scholarship each season for three years. So essentially, if you would have a roster of Bryce Williams, Isaac Likely, Chris Harris, Avery Anderson, Caleb Boone, Keelan Boone, Kuma Moncrief, Donovan Williams, who hasn't played, and Rondell Walker. So you would have two scholarships left to go. My guess is with a roster that would be one senior, four juniors, and four sophomores, it's not going to be – you only have two, so it's not going to be a big class anyways. If I'm Boynton – I go after a freshman, which is why they haven't had one commit yet, because you're not bringing in a bunch. You're bringing in one at most, maybe two. My, If I was roster building from that position, the guys they have, we just named off these guys that are impact guys. You haven't even had Chris Harris healthy much. Donovan Williams hasn't played yet. You're going to bring in a freshman, and you're going to bring in a another grad transfer for a year who fills a whole roster need that you have. But that's how I would put it together and know that this this team that you have built is the team and you're going to plug and fill holes and bring in a freshman to try and make an impact guy. I don't know who that freshman is. And I just I think that's what your situation is. I think your I think your next couple classes, barring a bunch of guys leaving early um, or leaving for some reason or other, are probably going to be smaller. And that, that's fine. Uh, I don't think your next big class is going to come till. Let's see, we're doing the 2021 class right now. Maybe 2022 is a little bit bigger. I think 23 is your first next, like, four or five player class. Yeah, I think that with the scholarship reductions that are still in place right now from the, the bullshit sanctions, I think I think 23, I believe, is the next <laughs> class that will be a full class for Oklahoma State. So it's going to be a little bit, but I think what, what you have in place right now, you have some guys that may leave early. Uh, but not one and done's like Cade, unless they land another five star with one of those two scholarships. Which I mean, they could Boyden and Eric Pastrana and some of those other guys. They can recruit their asses off, so they, it wouldn't surprise me if they landed a kid like that. But you know, we'll see what happens next year because if Oklahoma State, uh, obviously at this point, Oklahoma State's going to play in the NCAA tournament, and it would surprise me if the NCAA still makes the wrong decision and bans Oklahoma State next year. Would a freshman want to come in that's, you know, highly recruited and want to be on a team that is for sure not going to be in the tournament? At that point, you know, who knows? But, you know, we'll, we'll see over the next however long it takes instead of actually decide on something like this. Yep. I mean, as we all know, the one name to keep an eye on is if I cannot pronounce his last name correctly. His name is Enoch. Last name is spelled B-O-A-K-Y-E. If you know how to pronounce it, great. It's the kid out of Ontario, the five-star center. Considered the number four center in the 2021 class. Um, decommitted from Michigan State. There's a lot of OSU buzz. He's considering reclassifying in 2021. It would make a whole lot of sense if OSU was just throwing all their eggs in that basket and saying, if we can have a post, and, and if the postseason is, the band is impacting that decision. Because if you land him, hey, guess what? This team doesn't really have a true center. Um, you would like immediate playing time. Well, guess what position we happen to have available for you? Right. An immediate playing time at center, large, highly rated prospect. 
if that's your guy and that's your only guy for the class, I think people will be like, all right, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I very well see could see a scenario where they try and go all in on one guy, yep. for with that, and then check the transfer market or the grad transfer market and see what you can do to fill a hole in the offense. Like, you know, bring bring in a senior kind of like you have with the Fair and Flavors or Bryce Williams that can come in as like a a Thank mentor you. to these guys, something like that. And you know, they don't necessarily need to be a, a high impact or high minute person, but just somebody that want, maybe wants to move up to the P five and you know see what they have and go from there. But I, I could see a scenario like that. You can also bring in a guy that you know probably isn't going to play a lot. And you're going to sell him. It's going to be a, uh, maybe a – I mean, honestly, an Isaac Likely, a guy that you really believe highly in, probably isn't going to play his freshman year, but maybe he does. Maybe he just forces his way. Because you know Avery you – know, if Likely and Avery are your two guys next year, it's still nice to have that third true point guard on the roster, right. the third true ball handler. That's, that's the other position I would look at is if you're going to bring in a freshman is do you can you find one? They've only offered six point cards. Four of them have already committed. The other two guys are – got a low-end, a three-star from Brooklyn, Shacker, and a on-ranked three-star from – I don't know what that is. I don't know what that abbreviation is. Is that a state in the U.S.? Apparently now it's Louisville, Texas. That wasn't what it said on the other thing. Anyways, it's not. Um, so, you know, you just you, – you wait and see what they do. I, I, I understand everyone's, like, worried, but again, at most you're probably going to have, like – you're probably going to have, like, two scholarships available. That's it. It's okay. If you think one of those goes to a grad transfer, that means they need one freshman. Calm down. There's plenty of – there's plenty of guys in the transfer portal. I'm just like, mm, he would be nice. He scores a lot. He's good from three. I think that's what you want. You want a a guy who can just come off the bench and, and jack threes and hit forty percent of them. Can we get another? I just want another short white guy on the team. It feels like it's Oklahoma State tradition at this point. Like, can we just get one of those guys? I would appreciate it. We need our own Mac McClung, just not yes. Mac McClung. And just like a, a villain type that everyone hates but we love. Something like that. I'm cool with it. I don't need to be a villain. Like our short white guys weren't villains; they were lovable. You know, Mac McClung's yeah. not lovable. I, I ask other Big Twelve fans what they thought of Phil Forte and Keaton Page. There's they a big villains. difference between Phil Forte and Keaton Page and Mac McClung and Austin Reeves. The villains That's of the Big Twelve. Fair. Yes, that that is 100 fair. You may not like them because they hit threes on you. It's another thing when you don't like them because you're also just like. Nah. Fair enough. Uh, I'll move, let's move on to baseball real quick. Um, like we talked about earlier, Oklahoma State won two of the three games against Grand Canyon University, uh, a team that they lost the series to uh, at Grand Canyon last year. They tied the game today, which we've already talked about. Stupid, too, stupid, awful. But I really want to highlight the game on Saturday because I really think Oklahoma State has found their Saturday starter, and that's Justin Robleski. He was a transfer from – he played Juco last year. I can't remember what the Juco was. There's so many random ones around Texas and Florida and Kansas and all that. But he was a transfer from Clemson. And the first his first outing for Oklahoma State, he loaded the bases on his own and then got out of the inning against Wichita State. It was that game on Friday, I believe. And he started one of the games against Illinois State. I believe it was the Friday game. And my first thought was, oh, it's a bullpen day. 
because when a reliever starts a game, I thought, oh, he'll go two, three innings, and they'll just kind of go from there because that's what Josh Holiday likes to do sometimes with some of these, these games in non-conference. He proceeded to go six innings with interline punch outs. I'm thinking, okay, that, that's pretty good. I go to the game on Saturday thinking I'm probably going to see Bryce Osman. It's Justin Robleski. And this guy <laughs> proceeds to punch 13 tickets and looked, and I, I think at least eight or nine of them were on his curveball. Uh, thank you again to Colton Lovelace, the video coordinator for Oakland State Baseball, who posts videos and stats, you know, advanced statistics and, and things of that nature uh, for mainly pitching. But I believe he said that uh, Justin Robleski had a 56% swing and miss rate on his curveball the other uh, on Saturday. Uh, he's a guy that I, I profiles really well in college, at least. I'm not sure uh, pro projection is something completely different. But fastball since 1993 with a good curveball and a good slider. But, and the, I think it's, it's a plus curveball. It, it really plays up really nicely. And – I think eight or at least eight or nine of his strikeouts were on that curveball. Grand Canyon couldn't touch it all of yesterday. And I like a, a rotation of you get Justin Campbell in the midweek, which is a guy who would be a Friday or Saturday guy for most other schools, which tells me that Oklahoma State in the last two games, you know, at least midweek, that they want to go and win those games that it's not just an experimental kind of day to go and, oh, we'll bullpen this one and see what we have. Like, no, let's go and win this game against, you know, whoever it is, you know, UA Little Rock or uh, maybe Missouri State or ORU. I, I feel like ORU is good. They took two out of three from LSU. But they have, we almost said it was Justin Campbell, who's probably their third best pitcher going on Tuesday against them. But a weekend rotation of Parker Scott, Justin Robleski, and Bryce Osman. I feel pretty good about where Oklahoma State's at on the pitching side of things right now. I think they've really solidified things, and to see Oklahoma State do that early on says a lot about where they're at and what they think of their pitchers. Back end of the bullpen's pretty well set with Zach Cable, uh, Roman uh, Fancelcar, and Brett Stanley. Stanley has been fantastic this year. When he comes in, the game is pretty well in hand. Uh, I, I really – I. I talked about it last week. I talked about it uh, in the tweet, but I love moving him to the bullpen. I think his stuff plays up. It ticks up a little bit moving for, you know, in shorter, you know, one, two inning bursts and rather than over five innings. Offensively, Christian Encarnacion Strand and Brock Mathis hate baseballs because all they do is hit the shit out of them and they hit them very far. Uh, that is some great baseball analysis from your baseball guy. But, but, but honestly, like that, that's what they do. And this team has guys up and down the lineup that can just mash the ball into the gaps or over the fence. And there, you're going to see some games like today where it's a little feast or famine where, you know, you, you get a couple of hits here and there, but you get a three run home run from Encarnacion strand in the first inning. And then you don't see much after that, you know, some guys that are, you know, deep fly balls and things like that. And really until the, you know, you didn't see any offense until the end of the game in the bottom of the ninth, two, two outs, two strikes, Brock Mathis hits a home run. I don't think it's a, and there's not enough of a sample size to see it as, as I mentioned really until conference play, like there's just not enough at bats to really kind of see where this team is going to be, you know, consistently game, game in game out, but you're going to see some games where they, you know, they're going to hit a lot of home runs. They're going to do some things like that. And, 
you're not going to see the kind of dink and dunk frenzy hit like I've talked about in the past. And then there are other games where, yeah, you're not going to see a lot of home runs, but they're going to get eight or nine hits, of, you know, over the course of a couple innings and string together some runs. So it baseball is a very fluky, weird sport. And we saw some, some weird stuff over the weekend, but to get two wins against a team that you didn't win two games against last year, says a lot. Philip mentioned it. ORU on Tuesday. ORU is coming off, as I mentioned a little bit ago, coming off two wins in Baton Rouge. They put 21 on OR or on LSU on Friday. Um, 22, sorry. Either way, they put up they put up three touchdowns on LSU, and that was against Jaden Hill, who is going to be a first round pick in the MLB draft as a pitcher, and didn't last a third of an inning. Uh, their offense is obviously very good. So it's going to be a huge test with team early. And then you get Vanderbilt, who's number two in the country. And you're going to see Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter on Saturday, Sunday. Uh, good luck, guys. I want to see Oklahoma State do well. And we, we talked, Philip mentioned it earlier. We we're going to have a huge preview for that series. It's one, of the big, it's one of the biggest Oklahoma State has had at home in a long time. We were supposed to see Oregon State last year. Obviously, that didn't happen. But to get a team like Vanderbilt to come to O'Brien Stadium – is a big deal. That is huge for college baseball. And we're going to talk to a couple of, you know, we have someone to come in, uh, a scout that I know that has seen Vanderbilt this weekend, and then a former Oklahoma State baseball player uh, who is in front of the show, Trey Cobb, is in front of talking about OSU. So you, you will get a huge midweek preview for that game specifically. And I, I'm excited. I get to go to, I'm going to the games on Friday and Saturday with my dad. The Elbright Stadium is obviously incredible. I've been there a couple of times. Got to take my son to his first game on Saturday, which was – that was really cool. I, I had a ton of fun with that. That was a huge blessing for me to be able to do that. Uh, you know, I, I tweeted about it. I talked about it. But one of the first things I told him when I held him for the first time was that I couldn't wait to, until I got taken to his first baseball game. And to be able to do that and hold him and watch Oklahoma State win was pretty – that was pretty damn cool. I'll say that. Yeah, that's awesome. That is. Um We'll be there later this month, taking the girls, taking the fam. Be very excited about that. Um, that's a cool thing for you and, and, and EJ. That's really awesome. Uh, all four games this week are on television. ORU is at ORU Sports Network. I don't know what the hell that is. We'll have to figure that out. The entire Vandy series is on ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, it should be on ESPN, whatever. Um, here's my concern for this week. And we talked about this, like, why I'm so annoyed that they didn't get to win. But Vandy's going to be tough. And if you ask me what they do in this series, I say one and two would be really good and let's not get swept. Uh, I think OSU is good this year. I do think this is a good o- OSU team. I don't think it's I, – I do. And I think that they are playing really, really well. I think Sunday's game was a little fluky. It was, it was very against type for what this team has been this far. But I still think it's a, if you go one and two against Vandy, it's a successful weekend. Like I do think, and I, and I mean that, if, if you get a win, that is a successful weekend against this Vanderbilt team, period. Here's where I'm concerned about this weekend, or this week. It's at ORU. You and I have talked about this. I don't know if we've talked about the pod. OSU, if Oklahoma State baseball has one kryptonite, while if Josh Holiday's been in charge, it's ORU. Now, they haven't played since 2018, obviously 2020. The season got canceled before they got to that point. In 2019, all the games got canceled due to weather and other related things all season. So they never played in 2019 either, which is weird. They have played 13 times 
during Josh Holiday's tenure as the head coach at Oklahoma State. They're three and ten. They're one and three at ORU, and they haven't won in Tulsa since Josh Holiday's first season in 2013. ORU is OSU's kryptonite. There is not a worse time on the schedule to have to face them. I'm not saying they're going to lose. I'm just saying if if there's one just like I get it, they're good, but good grief, it's ORU. Yeah, and I I think what we'll see, and we, we've talked about this before, and I've you know I alluded to it that Josh Holiday, and it's not a knock on him; it's just the way that he likes to, to run his team in non-con, especially early in the year. It's I'm going to play some younger guys. I'm going to pitch some of my, my younger starters and some of my unproven guys and see what they have. And I, just so I know, can I trust this guy in the game against TCU or Texas Tech or, you know, a, a tight game against Baylor or something like that in conference play? And, you know, and this is the perfect time to do it against a solid team in ORU. And ORU's gotten better at Oklahoma State, and I'm not going to try – I'm not trying to dance around saying that Oklahoma State, you know – didn't care, and I don't believe in that at all. But I think when you have a guy like Justin Campbell, who is very good, and I think is going to be the ace of the staff over the next couple of years and one of the best guys in the conference, who they've trusted midweek to go and go and get wins and shut people down, which he did against UA Little Rock and what he did against Missouri State, where we haven't seen that from Oklahoma State over the last couple of years. They normally kind of bullpen those games or it's a – Hey, we'll see what this guy's got. You know, oh, three innings, five runs. Okay, we'll, we'll find somebody else. I think they have a, a legitimate midweek starter that they can go to now. So that makes me feel a little bit better about the game against ORU, that they have a guy that they trust that is good and a known commodity. And if they decide to go with Justin Campbell on Tuesday, I feel good about where Oklahoma State's at. Yeah. I just, it's just, just putting stats out there. Um, oh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. The schedule doesn't let up for OSU really until the end of March. You get at ORU on Tuesday, three game series against Vanderbilt. You get a game against Louisiana Monroe at Arlington, and I don't, you know, no offense, that's Louisiana Monroe. Okay, and then you go to Texas Tech for your three game series at Texas Tech, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So in the next two weeks, you go to ORU, who's been your kryptonite. You face Vanderbilt, in your three game series. And then you go to Texas Tech for three-game series. The next two weeks could have a really big impact on – will tell us a lot about this OSU team. This OSU team's been good. No offense to Illinois State, Wichita State, or Grand Canyon. They're, they're nice non-conference series, especially in baseball. Like, they're good teams. They're not Vanderbilt, and they're not Texas Tech. So we're going to learn a lot to me about this OSU baseball team and just how good are they and how, how high do we think we can put their ceiling with the next two weeks? Yeah, it's going to tell us a lot in the next weeks. And I'm not going to put a ton of stock in what I think about the Oklahoma State team during the Vanderbilt series. Vanderbilt's its own – they're in its own tier. They're up there with like Arkansas and, like Arkansas and Vanderbilt at this point. And if Oklahoma State goes out, they go one and two, but they put up a decent fight against Rocker and Lighter, and they don't absolutely get it shoved down their throat, mm-hmm. then, okay, I can still feel decent. And, you know, the Oklahoma State's, you know, hopefully sitting at like, you know, 11 or 12 and two, something like that, and feel good about where they're at. They get swept and absolutely annihilated for three for three games. Ugh, not Not great. But also, again, it's Vanderbilt. And if you really look into what Vanderbilt has done, 
Uh, if you're an Oklahoma State fan and you don't know a lot about what Vanderbilt has done over the last few years and over the last decade plus, uh, go look into some of the guys they put into Major League Baseball and guys that they've gotten drafted in the first round. And that'll show you the type of team that's coming to, to Obrey Stadium Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I think Oklahoma State can get to that point. They can be that type of team. They have the technology. They have the recruiting ability right now with a brand-new stadium, brand-new facilities. But Vanderbilt's just a machine, guys. <laughs> the, the, Kumar Rocker is going to go make $9.5, $10 million next season, the, this coming June. Jack Leiter is going to go make $8, 9000000 million this coming June. So when they are punching tickets left and right on Saturday, Sunday against Oklahoma State, sure, it sucks, but also understand – they're really good. And I'll be totally honest with you. I love Oklahoma State. I am very excited to go watch Oklahoma State play in O'Brien Stadium live. I'm just as excited to go watch Kumar Rocker pitch on Saturday because that's probably the best pitching prospect I've seen in the last five-plus years. And to be able to watch him live, I'm pretty excited about that. I won't, I won't lie. Just as a baseball fan in general – it's going to be a fun series. And if Oklahoma State can touch him up a little bit and get a couple of runs and find a way to eke out a win against Kamar Rocker and Vanderbilt, hell yeah. Like, that's a huge deal. And, I, you know, I said that I won't take a lot from Oklahoma State, you know, in the series. And I, that's assuming that they lose two or three. They win two or three? Get the wagon ready, folks, because Oklahoma State's in a really good spot and they're going to win the damn Big 12. And I still think regardless of the series – Oklahoma State's whole team, they can go win the Big 12. Texas Tech and TCU were good. I think Oklahoma State's just as on par where they're at. I don't think there's a team that's really separated themselves to this point that makes me think there's a clear-cut favorite. Right now, I think it's between Tech, TCU, and Oklahoma State to win the Big 12. And go from there, but Oklahoma State's in a good spot right now. They, they still are. I'm pumped. It's going to be a fun week of baseball. We talked about wrestling a little bit. They tied with Oklahoma for the Big 12 title, but they got three individual champions, Dayton Fix at 133, Boo Wallen at 149, and then A.J. Farrard, who was also the uh, wrestler of the – I think wrestler of the year at the, the Big 12 title. So that, that was pretty cool, 197 for the true freshman. And to get it done and, and help Oklahoma State get to that tie. Uh, if he had gotten a bonus point win, which I think he was close. I mean, it, was like he 13 to, he was, it was 13 to 8. Uh, Oklahoma State would have won the, the title outright. Either way, for him to win that match, uh, that's a big deal. Uh, so you have three guys that are, there are multiple other automatic qualifiers. You know, Dakota Gear, Trevor Master, Giovanni, and uh, Travis Witt, like Dustin Plot, I believe, all got automatic qualifiers to the NCAAs. This is not going to be your Oklahoma State wins a team title unless they get four national champions, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, but I do think Fix – I think Fix the wall and Ferrari – all had a really good chance. I think Whitlake does as well at 165. He, he kind of had a fluky loss in session two on Saturday, which jumped, bomb, bumped him down to consolation. Uh, but there are still some guys that are going to go and be able to compete in NCAAs. And even if Oklahoma State doesn't win a team title, still watch out for those guys. Still find a way. If you can watch their matches toward the end, uh, semifinals and finals, you're going to have an opportunity for Oklahoma State to win some individual titles, which they haven't done, I believe, since Dean Heil won. And uh, – Alex Darren in like 2016. So it's it's been a few years. If Oklahoma State can find a get, way to get those guys to win, it's going to be huge for the program moving forward. I think 21-22 is going to be a big year for the program. 
Yeah, it's, it's moving in the right direction. Recruiting is up. I think this. I think this roster is getting more and more talent. So, um, yeah, just see how they do it. It's good place. All right. Any final thoughts tonight, Philip? Nope. Fantastic. We'll talk to you guys later this week. As I mentioned, we have a huge uh, Vanderbilt Oklahoma State entire podcast preview for the series this weekend. I'm excited. I guess kind of leave that. I'm a baseball nerd, as you guys know, so to be able to talk solely about baseball uh, for one episode I'm pretty excited about. We'll talk to you all then. Take care.